Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money. Today we're talking the history of the Country Music Hall of Fame. And I ask Shauna, should I consider student loan consolidation? Millennial Money with Shauna Compton-Game. It will expand your brain. I know student loans weigh very, very heavily on a lot of the listeners' minds. Uh, I myself am still paying off my MBA student loans. I feel like I'm forever going to be paying off those student loans. But I have such a low interest rate that rather than sort of supercharging the payment on those student loans, I'm using my money in different ways to actually grow my money. So that's just something that's worked for me doesn't necessarily mean that is the right decision for you. But, you know, I think when you're thinking about student loans, there's a lot of factors to consider 
even though I know we all just really want to get rid of those loans, sometimes your money is better spent other places. And, you know, even going in phases of paying off your student loans where maybe there's a certain time you pay off a lot more in your student loan and then a time when you back off those loans, maybe you're getting married and maybe you're starting a family, whatever it may be. But um, there's a lot of different factors involved, which makes it really tough to answer in black and white a lot of student loan questions. But I got this one from Allison. I thought this was a good one to talk about on this episode. So Allison says, Hi, Sean, I've been listening to Millennial Money for a while and started following a number of your tips. Thank you. One thing I haven't heard come up is student loan consolidation. I'm nearing the completion of a PhD, and I have an MA from a previous graduate school. All told, like many millennials, I'm knee-deep in student loan debt from a number of different lenders. Before I returned to school, I was on income-based repayment, which I plan on starting over again after completing my final degree. I hear you on that, Allison. But I have added to my debt since then, meaning I now have three lenders to keep track of. All of it is federal loans. I've started getting mail with loan consolidation offers, and I don't quite know what to think. I've heard mixed things about loan consolidation and would appreciate if you could address this topic on the podcast. Is it worth it? Does timing matter? What do I need to know? I love this. I'm a recovering financial ostrich, so simplifying my money management is important to me, but I also don't want to end up paying more when I'm trying to handle things better. Thanks for considering my question and all your great advice. It has definitely changed my money managing life. Allison. Allison, this is a great question. I'm glad you asked it because I realized, wow, I haven't actually talked about student loan consolidation. I've talked about a lot of different topics around student loans, uh, but never this one. So uh, I think that it is a, a great one. And, you know, consolidation was something that I considered and actually I did when I graduated from my MBA program a few years ago. Now it's getting to be a lot of years ago, actually. But uh, consolidation made sense for me at that time because I had a bunch of different loans. And when I factored the consolidation, my payment was actually going to be lower because my interest rate was going to be lower. So at that time, it made sense. But really, when you're thinking about refinancing or consolidation, any type of change that you're thinking of on your student loans, you really need to look at a lot of different options. You need to look at not only consolidation, but also refinancing. You really want to look at where your loans currently are at, you know? So if your loans are on a low enough interest rate, it might not make sense to consolidate or to refinance. I think kind of the culture now is that everybody's talking about refinancing and it almost feels like something you have to do, right? To just kind of like peer pressure, join the pack. Um, But in essence, it really is such an individual decision and it can change over time. Uh, Just so you know, I actually co-launched a new course with The Life Currency, a great online company called Sally Mafia. That's the name of our course. And it's all about how to get rid of Sally Mae, aka your student loans, fast and for good. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. We've curated a lot of really great content all around student loans. There's videos, there's worksheets, there's all sorts of educational um, content in there that I have crafted myself to help you figure out how to get rid of this debt, how to think about your student loans differently, and um, a lot of the different options we go through. But let's talk about consolidation right now. So there's some pros. You get all your loans consolidated into one. uh, And food for thought, you don't have to consolidate all your loans. So you can do some of them. um, But, you know, the whole idea behind consolidation is obviously to put all of those loans together so you only have one payment. And the consolidation, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. The interest rate is a weighted average of all of your interest rates. So it is a calculation that they can figure out when you're trying to decide whether to consolidate your loans. And again, you really want to look at what is that weighted average versus the interest rates that are going to be applicable to your different student loans and figure out whether this makes sense. If this really is going to uh, make life easier for you or not. And another pro is you can usually extend the payment longer. So you have a longer payback period, which also has a con to it. I'll talk about in a minute. But usually you can extend past that 10-year repayment to 20, even 30 years. I know my MBA loans were extended out to 30 years, which seems like a really long time. I do not plan to take 30 years to pay those off. 
Uh, and the consolidation is no cost and you can usually do it pretty quickly. So those are the pros. Some cons, obviously that longer payment just means you're going to pay a lot more in interest. The more you stretch out your payment period, the more interest you're going to end up paying. It's just pure math. So you want to think about that and you know, if if you're consolidating and you're stretching it out to a longer period of time, maybe it's like, okay, well, the years where, you know, I'm really in that building phase of my career, maybe I'm only paying a little extra on those loans. But I know, you know, once I get past the five-year mark or the 10-year mark or the three-year mark, whatever it is for you, then you're going to really start, you know, putting extra money towards those payments. That's something that a lot of people think about. Another con is that, you know, you can't unbundle these loans once they're consolidated. Once you've packaged these puppies together, they're stuck together until you've paid off that loan. Um, And then again, if the weighted average is higher than some of your loans, you might not want to consider consolidating those. You know, you can certainly look at refinancing. Again, refinancing has pros and cons all to itself. Um... And then there's some things that you give up by consolidating. So when you consolidate your federal loans, you actually give up a significant number of valuable benefits that came along with those original loans. So balance forgiveness options, those are gone once you consolidate. Deferred payment opportunities, those are gone. Um, Many of the repayment options go away. There's only a few repayment options when we're talking about consolidation. So there's a lot of things to think think about. But really, for me, it comes down to that interest rate question. And it comes down to what does your career horizon look like? Are you in a career where, you know, your income is going to grow over time? Are you in a career where your income is going to stay more stagnant for a longer period of time? And, you know, where are those interest rates? Is consolidating going to push you in a much higher interest rate where, it's just going to mathematically take a lot more money to pay off those loans? Or is it pretty similar or even better than, it's not going to be better than, so it's not going to be lower than one of your loans because it is the weighted average. But, you know, is it close enough to your lowest loan interest rate that it still makes sense? So I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but you can actually go to studentloans.gov and you can apply directly for loan consolidation there. And you can also go there just to inquire, you know, what would this look like if you consolidated your loans? And that's what I did. I looked at that option and, you know, kind of weighed all of the different pros and cons and thought, uh, you know, what was going to be the most beneficial option for me when I'm Decided to consolidate, I I knew I was an entrepreneur, (laughs) and being an entrepreneur means that you spend a lot of money on your business to grow your business, and so I know that I wanted some extra cash flow every month, and so stretching out the payments for me was a risk I was willing to take because it freed up more capital for me to be able to build my business so I could get it to the point where then I had extra income and then I could drive it towards those towards those student loans to get them paid off fast. So I hope that makes sense. Um, I know there's a lot of different things to think about, but hopefully that points you in at least a direction of deciding whether you think consolidation will work for you or not work for you. But that was such a great question. Thank you so much, Allison, for sending those in. And if you have a question, please send it, submit it to us. There are no dumb questions. And I love hearing from absolutely all of you. It's knowing that this can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together. One day I'll be gone. One day you'll be gone. Okay, so that first song may give you a little bit indication of where we're going today. Uh, we're talking a little bit about uh, country music, Americana music, and that was the great Jason Isbell, one of my favorite artists uh, today, with uh, "If We Were Vampires," uh, which is actually featured on an episode of This Is Us recently. Do you, remember, do you kind of remember that? It's the one where Kevin that. Kevin was going through his stuff. 
uh, where he go, he Kevin's uh, always going through his stuff, right. I so. think I think when he was when he was in his drunk time and he, and he got a DOI, it was it was that episode. So I follow all this all the music on on those episodes. So um, so recently we we actually last weekend we went to go see one of our favorite singers, Irish singer uh, Glenn Hansard. And he was telling a story about the first time he ever came to Los Angeles and, and New York, the first time he ever came to America, and particularly in Los Angeles. And um, he had this really cool quote that I like and I wrote down. Uh, if you want to learn about a place, read the history books. But if you want to know about a place and get to know a place, listen to their songs, uh, which I think is 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 really important. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I think that the... The songs say so much about, you know, a place and a time and, and a culture and a movement and, you know, lots of things like that. Yeah, well, I think these days, too, I think we're reading more about history. We're watching more documentaries. And, of course, we're listening to podcasts about history uh, or just about, you know, history and life and cultures and stuff like that. But history is, is really, I think, important um, you know, to us these days. And we're, we're really kind of seeing a lot of that. Yeah. And I, you know, I think history is like a really important subject. Like if we're, if we're thinking about our own history, our own journey, even our own money journey, you know, the history tells a lot about where we're at. And, you know, I think history is really cool to look at because, you know, history's already been done, right? So like the history of our lives has already been done and we can look back on it with perspective. But the cool thing is that we have the opportunity to change history. You know, we have the opportunity to change history in so many different ways, not only in our own life. And I think that's what's resonating a lot with people lately is that feeling of of history, but also the precipice of, you know, we can change that. Yeah, I mean, I I love history and I love his, uh, historic things. I love learning about it, and and I really love learning about these kind of things through cool museums. And that's one of the things we're going to kind of feature today. We feature a lot of you know really great artists and singers on on this podcast, but this week we wanted to feature a place in Nashville that's not only preserving the past; they're they're telling a really great story, as well as looking to the future and featuring um, what is current today. This week, we're checking out what's hot in 2018 at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. And the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville, if you have not been, it's like going to Disneyland when you go to Nashville. It's one of those places like, okay, you really have to you really have to go there. Even, even if you're not into country music, it is a really cool place. Uh, it draws millions of people. Um, and it's this really huge shrine to, to country music. And, it, and I'm not kidding. It's, it's gigantic. Uh, I've been a couple times. And each time I go, I think it's, it's really unique and really diverse. And it surprises me each time how many cool exhibits and displays they have and, and how they really actually keep in touch with today's music. Obviously, Nashville, country music, it is the mecca where, you know, country music is has been born and it and is the giant monster that it is there. But it, I think they really do a good job of, of featuring so many other really great artists uh, these days. And I really like the, the hall itself. So uh, this year is no exception. And we spoke with museum editor Michael Gray about the hall's newly opened American Current. It's their new exhibit. It literally just opened uh, this past week. It includes artifacts and a lot of stories and uh, some of the best young artists of today, like Taylor Swift, Jason Aldean, Sam Hunt, Miranda Lambert, Eric Church, Luke Bryant, newly uh, American Idol judge Luke Bryant, uh, and so many more. They also feature uh, such great Americana artists such as Jason Isbell, who we just featured a song on, uh, Sturgill Simpson, Amanda Shires, and which are some of the artists I really love. So this is a really cool display. I hope I get a chance to actually check uh, this this uh, exhibit out. But like I said, the hall is huge, and there's so many other really great things you you would really um dig this hall if you've never been to the country music hall of fame you need to check it out next time you are natural or just make a trip to go see this i think it's really cool especially if you like country music um but let's go over some fun facts before we talked with with michael gray um you know the, the country music hall of fame last year celebrated 50 years uh as a as a hall of fame there that's hard to believe that it's been around that long because I feel like country music is just like on the uptick the last, 
you know, decade or so, really. Yeah, and also it's it's a lot older than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, by actually many years, too. So uh, unlike the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, who inducts, I think they do, I don't know how many actually the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does every year, but they have multiple, to, uh, multiple recipients. But each year, the Country Music Hall of Fame only actually inducts three members every year. And the museum actually does not elect uh, the the uh, inductees, but no, another committee actually does that as well. But three inductees every year, um, and uh, also Miss Swift, who is featured in the American Currents, uh, she actually a, couple, a few years ago, I believe, she donated four million dollars to create an education center for kids. And last year alone, and this is information I found as of 2017, last year alone, so I believe this is either 2017 or 2016, ninety seven thousand kids participated participated in a thousand hands-on programs. That is a lot. And that's pretty staggering that she actually created this education program inside there. Yeah, I think that's super cool. I, I, I hope like more artists decide to do things like that because it definitely makes a difference. And I think it helps these young kids like be able to dream about having careers like this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's two and a half million artifacts in the Hall of Fame, including 466 guitars. That's a lot of guitars. <laughs> That's a lot of guitars, exactly. Uh, so let's take a, a look at some of the history of country music at the Country Music Hall of Fame and the hot artists of today and what's in store for the Hall of Fame in 2018 with some of their exhibits and beyond that as well. And before we get started, let's listen to a little bit more country music. Uh, one of my favorite artists, uh, Marin Mortis, she's like a country artist, but I believe she's like more singer-songwriter myself. Uh, and her... Uh, mega hit, My Church. It won a, she won a Grammy for this, uh, as well as many other awards for the, for this breakout hit for My Church. So listen to a little bit of Marin Morris as we tour the Country Music Hall of Fame here. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-T-M for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. 
I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks? Where they explain how you get started right away. And back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. Okay, well, Michael, thanks for uh, joining us um, on the podcast, talking about the Country Music Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, in your year in Nashville today, so thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to be a part of it. Absolutely. So, uh, the Hall of Fame it started in uh, in 1961, uh, and which is I think is totally interesting, is way before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ever even became in in existence. Give us a little bit of history uh, behind the creation of the museum and, and the Hall of Fame and everything and how that came about. Sure, yeah. There's a trade organization called the Country Music Association. You know, this is the uh, CMA, you know, so you have the CMA Award Show, you know, on network TV every fall. And you have the CMA Festival, which used to be called Fanfare, that happens in, in Nashville every year. So, um, in the in 1961, you know, they decided uh, to start uh, giving... Hall of Fame plaques, you know, they want to, to uh, vote in members of the Hall of Fame. And the first three people they elected were Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers, and Fred Rose, who's an important songwriter and music publisher. And so they were elected into the Hall of Fame before there was actually a Hall of Fame building. Um, and 
the actual first building uh, came in 1967, and it was down on Music Row. And uh, so, so the museum just turned 50 years old uh, last year. And in 2001, we moved um, about a mile from Music Row to downtown Nashville, right in the heart of downtown. And 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 we've been here since 2001. And a few years ago, we uh, greatly expanded this building. Um, when they built the new convention center and the Omni Hotel, we kind of just created a large campus down here that gave us a lot more gallery space and archival space. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, a, it's a much uh, nicer uh, location, too, and stuff. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that actually coinciding me interviewing you and talking about this today, about the Country Music Hall of Fame, I just did a, a, an article on Patsy Cline in the museum as well that's, that's in Nashville, and I found out that she's the first female that inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1973. And, and since then, we've had so many great women singers, not just country music, but just you know some of the best singers of all time inducted there. Sure, yeah. I mean, right now we have an, a special exhibit up on Loretta Lynn, uh, you know, who is, who's, a, who's a member, and, you know, all the way up to, you know, Reba McIntyre. And, yeah, lots, lots of great females have, have been elected to the Hall of Fame since, since Patsy. Right, sure. right, exactly. Well, you know, and and, and a yeah, lot more on the way. <laughs> a lot. I was going to say, there's going to be that. Well, that's that's exactly what I mean. Is like there's so many more that w- that we're going to see down the road as well, too, and stuff. So, uh, well, I got to you know check out the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's many years. I was trying to get to to finally get there, and I and I did a couple of years ago, and and really enjoyed it, and loved the the Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash with the Nashville Cats, which just left there. Uh, you got it just left in February, right? Uh, yes, yes, that's right. That exhibit was up for three years, and uh, it's in a, that's our largest gallery where we do uh, changing exhibits, um, where we can kind of take a real deep dive into into like one topic. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that exhibit explored. You know, when Bob Dylan came to Nashville in the mid '60s, he made a masterpiece called Blonde on Blonde, and it really changed the perception of Nashville. You know, before then, you know. Nashville was kind of perceived as this kind of, um, you know, conservative, um, small town, not kind of not hip in the way that San Francisco and London and New York and LA were in in the sixties, you know? And, uh, but, but then when Dylan came here in the mid sixties, people, it turned people's heads and they were like, man, what's, what he's making this masterpiece in Nashville, working with Nashville musicians, what's going on there. And the floodgates opened and all these other rock and folk artists came. I mean, I mean, dozens of them, you know, Paul McCartney and the birds and Simon and Garfunkel and Leonard Cohen. And, you know, all, all these acts start coming into Nashville all to work with kind of the same small group of uh, session musicians. And at the same time, Johnny Cash was sort of bridging a lot of those cultural and political gaps between the old guard in Nashville and the hippies who were coming into town and he was having them on his TV show, his network TV show filmed at the Ryman. So yeah, it was just a, just a real interesting story. And, um, and yeah, as you mentioned, that exhibit uh, just closed, but we're going to replace it with an an exhibit um, that opens Memorial Day weekend and it's called Outlaws and Armadillos country music's roaring seventies. And, um, but it kind of in some ways picks up where the Dylan cash cats exhibit left off because with the Dylan exhibit, we looked at kind of how Nashville started to open up and bring in other kinds of music and artists were starting to gain like creative freedom, their own, rather than the record companies and producers telling them what to do. They were, the artists themselves were demanding that they get to choose which songs they're going to record and who they're going to record with and where they're going to record. And that really comes to fruition in the 70s with like Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Bobby Bear and folks like that. And and so we're going to tell that story. And, and a really important part of that story is what happens in Austin, Texas, and the mm-hmm. blossoming of, of, of the music scene in that great city. And, and the kind of the complicated, surprising relationship between Nashville and Austin during that period. So so that's the exhibit that will come in, go in that same gallery uh, come, come Memorial Day. Which I think that's totally interesting because that's that's uh, right now because that's Austin and, and Nashville are two of the hottest cities for music of all genres right now, and I think that's actually sort of an interesting tie there as well. Yeah, you know, and sometimes in this is oversimplifying it, but sometimes people have kind of pitted Nashville against Austin. <laughs> right. um, I mean, if you if you with a real broad brush, sometimes 
they'll say, well, you know, Nashville is like where uh, it's all about commerce and Austin's more about the art, you know, and, and it's really not, you know, it's, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> you know, there's more nuance, you know, that going on there. And, and so we're going to really explore that relationship between the two cities. And, and cause a lot of the artists who are in Austin, um, I mean, I mean, one thing that made Austin interesting is that they didn't have the music business infrastructure. Right. There. They had lots of great venues where, for artists to play, but they didn't have, you know, the BMI and ASCAP and all the song publishing companies and the attorneys and the, um, and, and, and as many studios as Nashville. So a lot of the artists from, from Texas were, were coming to Nashville to, to make their records, you know, like people like Towns Van Zandt and Guy Clark, you know, ended up moving to Nashville, you know, from Texas. So, and, and, and then there were, you know, artists leaving Nashville and going there. So we're, we'll, we're going to look at all that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, no, that sounds yeah. really good. That's really great. I, I like that idea a whole lot. Well, one of the other things too, coming up in 2018, you guys have is the American currents. We're talking about all the different, you know, current artists uh, of today and stuff. And, and I think there's a, a big diverse group. I think country music has been changing so much these days. Um, who are some of the American currents in this exhibit? And that, that opens actually, uh, today, right? That's right. Yeah, March, March yeah. 9th, so, I should say. <laughs> March 9th. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just to give you a little background on, on that exhibit is so that, that gallery is at the very end. It's the last exhibit you come to before you go into the rotunda where the hall of fame plaques mm -hmm. are. So it's really the last exhibit other than the hall of fame plaques. So, and, and, and what we're thinking is, okay, you know, the guests who come to the museum, they get, you know, they learn about the deep history of the music in our permanent exhibition. You know, they're learning all about Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family and, you know, Webb Pierce and Ernest Tubb and, you know, up through Rockabilly in the 60s and, you know, 70s with Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty and, you know, into the 80s and 90s. And, it, and, and what we want to do is provide folks a snapshot of what's happening you know, today in country music, like, um, you know, the state of country music today, just, you know, because not everybody who comes to the Hall of Fame is steeped deeply into the music. Mm -hmm. So you know, we get a lot of just kind of ca more casual fans who come through. And basically, you know, we want to be able to say, look, this is uh, who's winning the big awards, not just the big CMA awards, mm -hmm. but also like the Bluegrass Awards and the Americana Awards. And, um, and these are the folks that are they're selling the concerts and uh, these, these are um, some of the big stories that happened in the past year in country music. And, and so it just kind of gives us a, a, a chance to, you know, kind of show how the, how the music is always evolving and who, who's emerging and, and, and we don't, you know, because it's so, because it's the music of the, of the last year, it's hard to take too far of a step away and give it a lot of interpretation. It's more of us just kind of reporting on, you know, on, on things on, on what happened in the past year and yeah so you're asking who some of the artists are and it, you know it, it's everyone from very very radio friendly mainstream people like you know chris young and thomas Rhett and brothers osborne to you know folks like uh jason isbell who's more in the americana yeah. camp and um and john prine and uh blue like bluegrass stars like Sierra Hole and, and Molly Tuttle. And, um, you know, so, so it is, a, it's, it's a very wide range. I mean, you, as you mentioned, um, you know, at this museum, we understand that country music is not a narrow format, but an expansive big tent genre, you know, one that's inclusive enough to welcome contemporary radio stars and, bluegrass pickers and Americana heavyweights and songwriters and producers and, you know, I mean, and on yeah. and on. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love the, the, the list that, that, you know, that, that you guys sent me over, you know, has like Jason Aldean and Luke Bryan and, and of course, Taylor Swift, some of the big ones that, that even if, you know, a novice, like, okay, I know those country artists, but then you have like a Jason Isbell and Marin Morris and Sturgill Simpson, which I always think more of like singer songwriter, kind of stuff, uh, which I think th those kind of artists have drawn other, uh, fans over to, to this kind of music and said, Oh, wow, I really, I really kind of like that and stuff. So it's, I think it's really great that you guys are featuring those kind of artists as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, and the other thing we, we try to do in that American current or we, we attempt to do in the American currents exhibit is, um, 
at some of the younger, more emerging artists, we look at how they were influenced, you know, by some of the some of the older legends, mm-hmm. you know. So, for instance, um, Kane Brown, um, who you know really hit um, big on the scene this year, um, is been very vocal about how much he was influenced by Randy Travis and, mm-hmm. you know, he sings Randy Travis's songs in concert. And so there's a, there's a part of the exhibit, which we call, um, unbroken circle, mm. um, where, where we kind of, uh, pair, like we, we, we pair Randy Travis and Kane Brown together and we have artifacts from Randy and artifacts mm-hmm. from Kane. And we talk about how Randy was a big influence on Kane. And we do that with, uh, um, oh, another pairing we have is uh, Luke Combs and Eric Church. Okay, yeah, and yeah. Um, and 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 Amanda Shires mm-hmm. and John Prine um, oh. and and Chris Young and Marty Robbins. So, you know, we we kind of we do that every year where we kind of pair put these pairings together. Right, right. Well, we actually, yeah. I mean, we interview a lot of musicians on 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 this show, and and uh, so many they're all you know younger and stuff like that, and a lot of country artists, and so many. Um, I thought this was really interesting that you guys have you know John Prine on there. That uh, so many artists, uh, you know, list John Prine as a big uh, influence, especially in you know uh, singer songwriter style. I mean, he's really the Bruce Springsteen of Nashville, uh, and now he finally has an album out first first time in ten years as well too. Yeah, yeah, or his first album of new material. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he's oh man, he is a Nashville treasure, and you're right. He's one of those. He's one of those artists. I mean, I've lived here for thirty years, and I've never heard anyone say the slightest thing about John <laughs> Bryan or his music. I mean, the guy is just. I mean, and he, and he just he keeps so he's just so re- he he remains so relevant and, yeah. and a major influence on people like uh, Jason Isbell and his wife Amanda yeah, Shires yeah. and uh, yeah yeah so yeah so we're 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 trying to show how his how his influ- how much he's influencing younger artists um Casey Musgraves is another mm-hmm. person that cites John as a as an influence right right and exactly and and people like you know like her you know, have really kind of you know gone over in into into the crossover hits as well too and stuff like that and i and I think it's more interesting these days in the crossover hits that they're not necessarily trying to do, I mean, I think Taylor Swift was obviously a big, you know, kind of did that too, but I think they're not always trying to do it. They're just making really good music and a lot of other radio stations are picking up and then people are, more importantly, fans are listening on Spotify and other places and going, you know what? I like this music. Right. That's right. Yeah. And people are just, they're getting to the music in so many various different ways now. You know, I've, I've got uh, two children, uh, one's 21 and one's 16 Mm. and they're, you know, they're, they have very different taste in music and they listen to music in different ways and absorb, you know, get their music from different formats. But man, it's just, it's, it's amazing how, how much is available, to them, you know, um, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, so country music has really evolved over the last 10 years. Like, I mean, it's really had the influence of hip hop and rap and pop and even electric dance music and stuff like that. And we had, like I said, we have a lot of artists who have the, that kind of influence on, on this podcast. How do you see country music continuing to, um, you know, evolve and will the un- inductees, you know, in the next 20 and 30 years really look and sound different? Uh, do you think? Oh, I absolutely think they will. Yeah. And one thing about country that's um, like, if you go through our our permanent exhibit, we always show how, like, even when country music, let's say is um, going through a more pop phase where it's appealing to a, to a more pop audience, the way the records are produced and, and, and the, the audience that they're going for, there's always though a group of people who are kind of, um, keeping the roots or the tradition or, or, or making hard country music, um, alive. I mean, like, like one example that comes to mind is, um, you know, in, in the fifties after Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis, um, hit, um, a lot of country music fans went to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And one way that the country music industry responded to that was by creating the Nashville sound. And that was like producers like Owen Bradley and Chet Atkins, who were um, making these records where they kind of ironed out a lot of the hard hillbilly elements, like mm-hmm. the steel guitars and the fiddles. And they, instead these records had like um, lush string sections and backing background choruses. And, you know, they were, they were just, um, they were aimed at like a contemporary adult 
audience. Um, and so the, so the music was much, you know, becoming more pop in a way with that Nashville sound production. But at the same time that that's happening, you have George Jones and Connie Smith and Buck Owens and Charlie Pride and other artists in the sixties um, who are still kind of, you know, creating that hard traditional rooted you know, country music. And, and I feel like that's always going to be the case so that even when, you know, you have, um, bro country or people who are doing more dance or electronic, um, music in their country, you still are going to have someone like Chris Stapleton who travels, you know, with a pedal steel guitar in his band and, and is keeping the, you know, kind of, I mean, he's, he's definitely rocking at times. I mean, he's definitely has that Southern rock influence yeah. for sure, but, but, but also is keeping the music, you know, more, you know, I guess more traditional compared to like, I don't know somebody like, um, Sam Hunt or, or Georgia line, for instance. Yeah. Well, I mean like, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I gravitate towards like the, the old school, like, you know, Willie and Waylon and Johnny Cash and, and stuff like that. So when I look at somebody like Chris Stapleton and is like, you know, He's old school country, but he he's rock and roll, you know, and, and I mean, he really right. rocks out and he's really, you know, he's just a great singer songwriter, period. And he just happens to make a lot of music that I go, oh, I gravitate and I, and I like a lot. Um, sure. But and do you think with so many of these artists, why, you know, say like 2017 in which you guys are featuring a lot of artists who, who were really, really big in 2017. I mean, is that why you think 2017 was a really good year and, and 2018 continues to be, you know, country music just is, has just really exploded in so many different ways and so many other fans have, have gravitated towards it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And you know, and, and now in this gallery, I mean, just to be clear in this gallery, we're, we're always looking at the past year. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, every, you know, we're now in March and so we're, we're like, okay, we're going to feature the music of 2017 next March. We're going to look at the music of 2018. Mm -hmm. You know, we always, yeah. we always need a couple months for the year to end and for us to get the, the, the exhibit up and, and look at the past year. But, but yeah, but I mean, there's always, you know, every year, um, you know, there's always going to be, you know, interesting stories and there's going to be interesting award winners and, and, uh, you know, we, we do spotlight some of the more behind the scene songwriters and producers and, mm. and try to, we try to show why the music is changing and how the sounds are changing. For instance, um, right now we have um, just a, you know, a, a, a small exhibit on a songwriter and producer named Busby, you know, who he's from LA mm -hmm. and came out of the, you know, and he, and he was working, you know, in pop music before he even discovered country music at all but now he's working with a lot of country artists. So it's only natural that he's bringing that kind of LA pop, uh, sensibility and flavor, you know, to his to the country acts that he's working with, you know? So, um, and, and we try to show those things like why, why the, why the music is changing and, and how, and how, of course there's not like now a whole generation of, uh, artists who grew up on, on hip hop and, and were as influenced by, hip hop as they were, you know, Merle Haggard. You know, so. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, last question I have for you, we kind of, we kind of talked a little bit about Nashville, but what I think is really interesting is that, you know, New York and LA, uh, Detroit and Chicago always have been, you know, you know, a rock cities and stuff like that. Um, Cleveland has, is now the defunct rock city because that's where the rock and roll hall of fame and stuff like that. Um, but for me, what I've discovered the last couple of years that Memphis and Nashville to me are the real music cities with so it's so diverse. And so, you know, there's so many different genres in there. Why do you think Nashville, uh, is not only a great city for music, but also great, you know, a, a city where you really want to go see live music. And these days you could see so much more than just country music. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, Nashville has for so long just been just known for for country music. What, what a lot of people don't realize is how diverse the city is. And I'm talking from way back. I mean, a lot of people would be surprised to know that Nashville was a hotbed for rhythm and blues in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, right after World War II. I mean, we put out some of the greatest R&B records and had, you know, Jefferson Street was just lined up with, with R&B nightclubs. We had pioneering radio stations and TV shows and I mean, it just goes on and on, you know, I mean, about how great the R&B scene was here. And then, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, we did that full exhibit about when Bob Dylan and the rock and folk artists 
you know, start arriving in Nashville. And, you know, and then today, you know, um, I think maybe the perception might be changing a little bit because of folks like, you know, Dan Auerbach yeah. uh, lives here and Jack, Jack White, White and the yeah. Kings of Leon and, and Kesha and, you know, they're, and, and, and they're, you know, they're usually, uh, you know, in their interviews are just talking about how diverse and how rich, you know, the city is as far, you know, the music scene is. And, and so I think word, you know, word is getting out that Nashville is, um, you know, that it's not just country music, but you're going to hear plenty of great country music here too. And not, you know, and, and as we've been talking about, all kinds of country music from bluegrass to Americana to, to the big uh, arena stadium acts, you know, it's all, it's all here. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can go, you know, to a great old historic bluegrass venue, like the station in any night of the week, and you're going to mm-hmm. hear great music or, uh, but you can also come to the CMA fest mm-hmm. every June in downtown and, and hear, you know, all the, all the acts that you're hearing on country radio. So, uh, mainstream country radio. Yeah. And I, I think it's really cool that you guys are sort of, you know, spearheaded right now in, in the middle of downtown, uh, Nashville and have always been there and stuff. You, you, you did the, did the expansion and stuff like that, but now Nashville, there's just so much more to go see besides you guys. But I think you're still the anchor that people go, you know what? Yeah, we got to go here because I've, I've had so many people that are not even, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the biggest country fans are like, I gotta go see the country music hall of fame. So we get, when we, when we go to Nashville, oh. I mean, it's like going to Disneyland, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, going to work every day is like going to Disneyland. You're right. Yeah, but no, no, I appreciate you saying that. And one thing we do is we we are always constantly changing the exhibit so that people have you know for for, for a reason to come back. You know, um, I mean, even if you've been here once, if you come back in the next year or the year after, you're going to see new exhibits. And we're constantly doing um, you know public programming, concerts, and panel discussions, and film screenings, and Q and A's. Um, you know, we're we're, we're doing just we're doing that all year long so we, we keep trying we we're, we're giving people a reason to keep coming back and visiting us so if you haven't been to nashville yet to check out the country music hall of fame you definitely need to go even if you're not a country fan i am not the biggest country fan at all but i do love history and i do love seeing how you know music has really evolved throughout the times and really has defined a lot of historical moments and Maybe it's even defined moments in your own life. I know I can definitely think about certain songs and think about, you know, where I was in my own personal history and, you know, the role that those songs have played in my life. And when I listen to those over and over again, you know, they evoke these different memories and thoughts about about my own history. So I think music is is really cool like that. It, it definitely brings us together, but it definitely defines those like very distinct moments in time. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. You can check out Jeff on Instagram at The Traveling Game. And if you love this podcast, hey, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media, and head on over to that link in the show notes to leave us a five-star review. 